What's up, y'all? Man, happy Easter. Uh, in general, I love singing worship music, uh, but there's something special about it on Easter morning where the resurrection is kind of fresh in our minds and proclaiming the fact that we do not serve a dead, a distant, or a disinterested God, but we serve a God who is alive. He rose 2,000 years ago, and he is currently alive in heaven. Amen? I told you all before, okay, by the way, you can say amen to your TV screens, all right? And so feel free to say amen. Ain't nobody there to judge you. And then when we get back together, we're going to have church because we're going to get used to talking, all right? But uh, I'll acknowledge uh, right away from the jump uh, that this will most likely be the most awkward Easter sermon for the well and for me ever uh, because by law, the government has allowed us to record our gathering still, which we're super, super grateful for. Uh, but nonetheless, we don't actually get to celebrate together. And so it's a little bit awkward here. There are about six people in the room right now. So I'm not fronting as I'm looking into the rows. There are actually people that are here. All right. Uh, but then there's a lot of y'all on the screen. And I can't tell if you're digging the sermon or if you're falling asleep. I can't tell if you're in your Easter Sunday best or if you're still in your raggedy high school clothes, all right, that you wear for PJs. But whatever it is, uh, I also, from the jump, want to uh, say even though we may not be able to gather together for this Easter, the resurrection proves that we will be gathered together forever in eternity with our King. And so, literally, we may miss one tiny moment in eternity, but it is just a tiny moment in comparison to eternity. And so, we may not know how corona will impact our immediate future, but we know that King Jesus will impact our eternal futures, and it is because of the resurrection that we are literally celebrating today and this morning. And so, even though it's different than what we're used to, man, God is still present in this, and I believe that God will be exalted in really beautiful ways, particularly because of what happened 2,000 years ago. So I'm excited to virtually still connect and really in our hearts connect in a way that is beautiful. So I want to dive into the scripture and I want to actually remind our hearts of this glorious truth that we just sang about uh, or maybe even learn about this glorious truth for the first time. Maybe we're not really sure if we are believers, where we are in the faith. And so I want to wrestle with that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, would encourage you to pause the video and to go and grab one if you don't have one. Uh, if you actually physically don't own a Bible, I would encourage you to go back to that Connect page you heard about a couple of moments ago, and we'd actually love to give you a Bible. Just say, I want a Bible, and we'll drop one off over at your house, okay? That was impromptu, and so congratulations, staff team. We just got more work, all right? But we'd love for you to have the word, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and read for us uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to start in verses 1 and two, and it'll also be on the screen for us there so we can follow along. It says this, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul from the gate is telling believers that he's actually reminding them of a truth that they already know, that this good news or the gospel, the message of how they are being saved, that they already know this truth, and Paul is kind of reminding them of this truth. So we'll talk about that idea of salvation more in a second, but I want us to know as Christians that even though they already know the gospel, Paul is actually reminding them of this truth again. In other words, you can 
cannot be reminded enough about the beauty of the gospel. The message of the cross, it should never grow old in our hearts. In fact, the older we grow, the more it should grow in our hearts and the more we should treasure and cherish Christ. And so Paul is reminding them of this truth that is impacting their souls and their eternities, this good news. At the same time, though, Paul is also addressing the people who may not really know who God is. Paul says that some people, their belief is vain, or that word means empty. It's not really there. It isn't really true. And so there's an ability to proclaim that you are a Christian, but to not have faith that actually saves you. There's an ability to know God, but to not actually know God. And I get this because I once would have professed that I was a Christian, but I didn't really have this grace. I didn't really receive this good news. There was no change in my life. And so I may have been professing that I knew God, but that belief, I believe, was vain or empty. It wasn't really there. So I think that I, in a lot of ways, kind of knew God the way that I know George Washington, right? Like, like I believe in George Washington, okay? Like I intellectually assent to the fact that George Washington, he existed, but I don't know George Washington. You follow him? Like G-Dub and I, we're not boys, okay? Like we don't get together and talk about what our favorite pair of Jordans is, right? Like, like I don't know his hopes and dreams, and, and he doesn't know my hopes and dreams, and I think that he existed in my head, but there's no relationship with him, And in a very similar way, I knew Jesus in my head, but I did not know Jesus in my heart. I did not have a relationship with God. And so Paul here says that we can have a faith that's not really rooted in anything. It's it's vanity. It's empty. it's, It's missing in a sense. And so right away, Paul actually would encourage us to wrestle with the idea of, have you been changed by the God of the universe? Like, is your faith, is it active? Is it altering you? And this is what Paul wants us to wrestle over. Now, what is this gospel, this good news? What is this news that should be changing our life in really beautiful ways? This should alter our current life and actually give us purpose and meaning and hope. And it should alter our eternities where we get glory forever if we believe in him. What is this gospel, the good news? That's what Paul is going to address. So let's keep reading in verse 3. Says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Um, you can easily edit. I can start. I can read that over again, right? Because it's going to flash to the screen. Great. I, I misread. Here we go. Huh? The hot rod, yeah. (laughs) I'm glad we're at this point because, thanks. Okay, ready? It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the first thing we see is that the gospel is about Jesus. You see it there on the screen. And really, the gospel is Jesus. Paul begins by saying, I delivered to you what I received, which was the most important thing, and that is Christ, is what he says there in verse 3. And this should immediately make us realize that there's something different about this man, Jesus. You see, every other religion, 
religion and every other philosophy in the world says that there's something wrong and here's what you must do. Here's how you respond to the wrong that is in the world. In fact, every other religion, their leaders come not as saviors, but as teachers, showing us and telling us what is wrong with the world and what we are to do with what is wrong with the world. But not just religions. Like, think about your favorite uh, social figure or talk show host or self-help book. Like, they all say the same thing, right? Like, there's something that's wrong. So your marriage is in shambles, or you don't make enough money, or you're continually kind of emotionally screwed up, right? Like you're overweight, or your sex life isn't good enough, or your fashion makes you look like Stevie Wonder dressed you. Like all of them say that there's something wrong, right? Here's the problem. And then they say, here's what you need to do to fix it. And even in religions like the five pillars of Islam or the teachings of Buddha or Money Magazine or Oprah or Cosmopolitan, which as a side note, I've never read, by the way, okay? But uh, everything says, hey, here's what you must do. Christianity is completely different, though. Christianity highlights what somebody else has done. You see, it says that he, Jesus, died, that he, Christ, was raised, that he fulfilled the scriptures that foretold about his coming. In the whole passage, it never once tells us what we must do. You see, the gospel is not advice about what you must do, but it is a proclamation about what somebody else has already done. And so the gospel is about Jesus. It is Jesus. It's his life. It's what he's done on our behalf to start the process of making things right again. The gospel is about Jesus. The second point, which is also found in this passage, is that the gospel is about sin and substitution. I know those are both really big and touchy words, so I'll explain both of them. Sin is just that the, the, the idea that something is wrong with the world. Sin just means there's a shortcoming, there's a missing of the mark, that things are not how they're supposed to be. Now, if you think that there's nothing wrong with the world, then you don't need this message and you don't need the gospel, okay? Facts. You also don't watch any TV, you don't use any social media, and you don't talk to any humans because literally, even right now, we're in the middle of a freaking pandemic, right? Like the world is not how it is supposed to be. And we know that in our core and in our being, we live in the midst of a sinful or of a broken world. And the passage says that Christ came to die for sin. That's the reason Jesus came. If we're honest, though, we know that there's not just something wrong with the world around us, but there's also something wrong with the world within us, that we ourselves have this sin that is marring our lives in very serious ways. There's shortcoming, there's brokenness, there's something that's off. You see, this passage says that Jesus came to die for our sin. You see it there on the screen. We are a part of the problem. And here's also where Christianity differs. You know, most of the philosophies of the world, they say that they are the problem, that it's somebody else, right? And so our political philosophies right now, the Democrats say it's the Republicans' fault. The Republicans say it's the Republicans and the Democrats' fault, right? The news media sources, they uh, literally are saying the other news media source is the problem. And literally, if you hop on social media, what you'll see is that if they just did this, then we'll 
still have world peace, right? It's always somebody else is the problem. Like if Carol Baskin just died, then we'd have world peace and all of us would get baby tigers, all right? And so there's somebody else that's the problem, right? But Christianity, it's so inclusive. It says everybody the problem, you, me, and everybody in this world, right? That there's actually something wrong with us. It's not them that we actually look internal first. We have a problem. There's sin in our lives that is marring our relationship with God. I think about even in my own personal life this week, you know, we are uh, in really week three and a half of having uh, our, our newborn. And so this is the fourth kid that is in our household. And so while there's a pandemic in the world outside, there's chaos inside the male household too, okay? And uh, it's been difficult to really love and to serve. And what I find myself doing is not wanting to honor and to serve my wife in the way that she deserves. She just delivered a human, okay? Like, like she deserves my sacrifice, and yet I find myself wanting to be selfish with my time or feel like, why aren't you showing enough gratitude to me? Didn't you see me wake up at 1 a.m. And, and hold the baby too? And all of a sudden, I turn it into a me thing, and if I'm not careful, it can begin to create chaos in our marriage, and that chaos can lead to greater and greater pain. There is something wrong with me. Now, the beauty is, is that if we understand the gospel, we actually know how to apply the gospel in situations like that and bring unbelievable peace because the gospel is not just about our eternities and where we go when we die, but the gospel actually interacts with our present. And so as Natalie and I have been able to work the gospel into marriage, even though there was my own selfishness and sin that was creating some disruption, now because the gospel has inserted itself, we are actually finding more peace today than we did before the disruption started. Like the gospel changes all things, but the gospel also says that we have to realize there's something wrong and that there is something wrong with us as well. It can lead to all this pain and brokenness. And what the Bible ultimately says is that my sin cuts me off from God you see, God is perfect, and so when I fall short, I tarnish or I sever that relationship with the God of the universe. I ruin my chance at life because he is life. He is what my soul longs for. He is what your soul longs for, friends. He's what you crave, and the gospel actually highlights that our sin, it disrupts that. But it's not just about sin. The gospel is about sin and substitution, it says there. So Jesus can fix this. Why? Well, because the gospel says that Jesus died for me. You see there, the word for means on my behalf. Jesus actually, he took my place. Jesus takes my wrong and gives me his good. It is a substitute or a swap. And so he gives me intimacy and fellowship with God and purpose and restoration and eternal life and meaning even here in this life and joy and peace and hope and love and everything that my soul longs for, Jesus gives that to me. And at the same time, he takes away all of the sin and shame 
the guilt, the brokenness, my death and separation from God, my shortcoming, my meaningless life, my pride and my arrogance, that Jesus takes all that upon himself. He takes my bad and gives me his good. The gospel is about sin, but it's also about a substitution that Jesus takes what I do and puts it upon himself and he gives me who he is, which is life and life everlasting. And this is actually what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He took our place. You see, our sin would have ultimately led to death and to deterioration and even to eternal destruction. It would have led us away from the God who loves our souls. It would have led us away from life eternal. But Jesus died that you might have life. And so have you really received this life? Is this life altering your reality? And so the gospel is about Jesus It's about sin and substitution. But thirdly, the gospel is a historically factual resurrection. And that's what Paul goes into next. So we're not just assenting to a philosophy here, but there's actuality behind this that Jesus actually came, died, and rose. And so Paul keeps going in verse 5. He says, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, scholars, even those who don't believe in the Bible, say that this letter was written by Paul about 20 years after the resurrection. So we're not going to spend a ton of time here. But look, 500 people saw Jesus resurrect. 500, okay? Like, if you were in a court of law and you had 500 witnesses, I don't care who the other person's lawyer is, you're going to win that. Like, bring Johnny Cochran, we still gonna win this case, right? And so, literally, like, Christians, I think we can at times get projected as kind of intellectually shutting off our mind and just believing by blind faith. This is far from blind faith. 500 people saw something. There's there's, there's this uh, ability for them to be able to see what's happening and say, no, no, I saw Jesus resurrect. That's what Paul is claiming here. And they ain't capping either. Like, here's the biggest piece within this. It's not like there was something in it for them. In fact, 10 out of the 11 apostles, they died for their faith. And so it's not like professing your faith in Jesus was advantageous at the time. It would actually ultimately lead to the death of your life. So they had to have seen something. Like, they must have believed this. Like, if this was just some hoax or if this was some illusion, you would have thought that somebody would have denied the faith because multitudes of these 500 men and women got killed, but it is well documented in history that, man, they clung to the faith because they must have seen something. This can't be a hoax. Like if it was, you would have thought at some point, somebody would be like, nah, bro, like I'm good, right? Like I don't believe this anymore. Like I just thought Christians were really, really I just really like Christians casseroles, you know? I just want to be around them, okay? But nobody did that. They all clung to the faith. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, if you don't believe this, then go ask any of these 500 people. Go ask these other apostles. Jesus actually came, he died, and then he rose. We are not singing to an ethereal God. We are not singing to a philosophy. We are singing to a resurrected king. Amen? We are singing to the God of the universe. And so here's the importance of the resurrection. The resurrection is actually proof that what Jesus did is final and that it's complete. 
that his substitute, his sacrifice to pay for sin, to fix what was wrong, to bring us back into intimacy with God, that it was actually accomplished. It was paid in full. I'm from Detroit originally, and uh, I grew up in the hood, and I dressed like it, okay? So I would walk into stores often, and I would get followed around by, like, the employees that were in the stores and stuff, okay? So one time in particular, I had this bag, and I had these jeans in them, and, you know, these jeans slapped, like they were fire, okay? And so the employee came up to me and said, ah, sir, you, you can't put things you didn't purchase inside the bag, right? And so literally, what did I do? I, I, I went to him, and I was like, you can catch these holy hands if you want to, bro. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that, right? I reached into the bag, and I said, watow, player, all right? What did I do? I pulled out the receipt. Y'all thought I pulled out a knife or something, right? It's not true. I pulled out the receipt, okay? It was proof that those jeans were mine. I didn't use the word playa either. I wasn't a Christian at the time, but there's kids watching, all right? So uh, the resurrection is Jesus's watow, be gone, playa, to sin and to death and Satan. It is his paid in full. It is the proof that what he did was actually paid for, that God was satisfied with him, and that if we believe in him, then we get his life too. This is an important like point for us Christians. Like when doubt comes, when fear about the coronavirus hits, when your own guilt or shame or your struggle with your own personal sin, when anxiety comes in, do you know how to reach into the bag and pull out the paid in full receipt, which is the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know how to respond to the gospel? The resurrection is proof that we have eternal life, that Jesus paid this in full, and he literally rose from the grave, which means all of us who believe in him will also rise with him one day. Amen? This is good, good news. Have you accepted this Christ, not just as teacher, but as Savior and as God of your souls? And so the gospel is about Jesus It deals with sin and substitution. It's a historical fact. And finally, the gospel is life-changing. That's how Paul ends his text here. Let's read it in verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. What could change someone like Paul, who was a racist, self-righteous, morally conscious Pharisee, into someone who could say, I am the least of all the apostles? You see, uh, only the gospel is able to humble somebody like this, Like, Paul hated the church. He actually killed Christians, and now he is one himself and would ultimately be killed for the faith. Man-made religions, they don't do that, friends. They don't alter your life like this. Like, listen, if you're doubting whether or not the gospel can work for you, just look at the life of Paul, and it is proof that the gospel can work for you. Like, you can't be good enough because you're not more moral than Paul was. Paul kept the law to perfection, he even says at some points. He walked in it as best as humanly possible, but even he proclaims his need for the gospel, that he needs a savior. Simultaneously, though, you can't be bad enough because have you slaughtered Christians? Right? And if you have, I'm really glad we're not meeting publicly today. Shoot, you know what I'm saying? But if Paul needs the grace and the mercy of God, then man, so do we. 
And if he can actually then receive it by God and be called an apostle, then no matter how much wrong you've done in the past, can you not receive the grace of God and then be used by God to do beautiful things? This is what the life of Paul shows us. The gospel is life-changing. But listen, friends, it is just that. It's life-changing. Your life alters when the gospel enters in. The gospel is not just the cherry on top of your life. It is the cake and the icing and the frosting and the cherry, and you either have all of it or none of it. It's not something you sprinkle on, but it is all of your life. Do you know God like this? Or do you just intellectually assent to know God the way that you know George Washington? God does not want to just be distant and cold. He wants an intimate relationship with the people that he has created. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that we can have that if we believe in him. He does not want to just be a part of our life. He wants to be all of our life because he himself is life. So listen, family. The reason that we celebrate our brains out at Easter is because of what happened 2,000 years ago, that Jesus goes to the cross to pay for our sin, but our God is not dead. He's alive, and we worship to that, and we sing to that because the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, it is true, and therefore, because it is true, we don't have to fear the coronavirus or anything else because no matter what happens in this life, we know where our eternities are at because of the blood of Jesus. This is why we sing and this is why we celebrate and this is even why we long to gather together today to remind each other of that truth that Jesus reigns today and will reign forever and if we believe in him we get to reign with him this is the gospel do you have him as your God and savior and if not I pray that even today you would trust in him And well, family, if you do, and if you love Jesus, and if he has changed your life, I pray that you would remind yourself of the gospel, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday, because what Jesus did at the cross and resurrection, that is our life. It alters all things, and he is worthy to be praised for that. Amen? I love you guys like crazy. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross and the resurrection. And God, even as we finish this last song, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray for those of us who do know you that, man, we would get to rejoice our hearts in you, even as we sing this song in our homes. And God, for those who may be wrestling with whether or not we believe in you, Jesus, I pray that you would do a beautiful work even over this next song, that they too would hear your voice and want to know your love. God, move in us in beautiful ways. Thank you for defeating sin and death, that you overcame death. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that we would sing out those truths even right now. We praise things in your beautiful name. Amen.